Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. Do you really need a person full-time or will a freelancer suffice? Often the need to get work done clouds our vision of who we really need. So ask yourself, what does the business need? And what is the time in which the work needs to be done? When you need something quick, you most likely need a freelancer. But know that your explicit communication is the key to successful project completion. Don't just shortcut the selection process and hire those who get it, want it, and can deliver results. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and business leaders win the right hire by sharing insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, disruptors, and industry leaders like our guest today, Shahar Arez. He is the co-founder and CEO of Stoke Talent. As an experienced executive with solid engineering, product, and marketing leadership backgrounds, backed by solid results, he has more than 15 years experience in various management positions in a wide range of organizations building stellar teams and leading them to new levels of success in a highly competitive markets. Shahar has hired hundreds of freelancers throughout his career and is here to share his expertise, which is what makes Shahar the perfect expert for today's topic. Shahar, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me here. It's great to have you. So we're going to discuss when to hire freelancers versus full-time talent, and then we're going to provide a roadmap of how to most effectively hire freelancers. Sound like a plan today? Sounds like a plan. Most entrepreneurs out there, maybe like me, where I struggle with the notion of hiring freelancers quite often. And when I find somebody who works, oh my God, I'm going to keep them forever. But it's always that balance of time versus communication. You're expecting if you hire a freelancer that they already automatically know what to do. That's where we have a problem. Where else do you see the challenges today from that perspective? So I think you touched upon a few of them. The first barrier that we see with companies is the mental barrier. Will I hire a freelancer? Are they going to work hard for me? People that are freelancing probably couldn't get a steady job. There's this mental shift, probably mostly in our generation. I'm assuming here that we're in the, in the same generation. 20 years ago, I was assumed that freelancers or independent contractors are people that, generally speaking, couldn't get a steady job. There's been a significant shift there, and we're going to talk about it. The second is really more of a cultural challenge. How do they fit the organization? How do we tell them what needs to get done? So there's this entire process that's happening around that. But what we've seen over the last 15 years, I would say, there's a significant shift happening because a lot of the new generation, young millennials, although you know it's been overly used terms, and Gen Zs are now wanting different social contracts with life. They want more flexibility. So they are freelancing. And so we're seeing growth in the number of freelancers. So companies need to start adapting to that change. That's very true. I've actually seen quite a few people. They want to work maybe six months as a freelancer, bank up some money, and then go travel or do something. That's very common. Or just work four days a week and go study on the fifth. Yeah, very, very true. There's a research from 2018 with high schoolers around the US and 45% of Gen Zs said they will never take a steady job. What's a steady job? full-time steady job with single employer that pays a paycheck twice a month. That's interesting stats. So if that's where hey, everybody's headed, then we're going to be hiring a lot of freelancers. Although the landscape is not easy to hire people as freelancers, especially in California. It's never easy. We're seeing it's a competitive landscape there. Competition for talent is fierce. Actually, if we had this interview 13 or 14 months ago, I would tell you that skills gap is the number one challenge that's driving freelance adoption because you can't hire great talent. Then COVID hit. 
And then there was a flood of talent in the market, but that flood lasted like three, four months and we're back again in the skills gap. And the skills gap is only growing bigger and bigger because the fight for high quality talent is only getting fiercer. I would imagine there's been a lot more freelancers too, because as you mentioned, we're probably in that age range where we're unhirable in a good way though. You either have to start your own company or you freelance because we command a lot. There are a lot of people out there that prefer to do it because of the flexibility. And there's a lot of motivation on the freelance side. Number one, flexibility, you mentioned it. Number two, when COVID hit, the first people that were let go were the freelancers or the contractors for the company because no strings attached, we can let them go. But what we saw after three months, months when COVID hit towards end of Q2, that the freelancers were the first to land on their feet because they were adjusted. They were highly skilled. They had the network. They knew how to jump in and start performing very quickly. And the full-timers were kind of staring like deers at the headlights, like, oh shit, I just got laid off. I don't even have an updated CV. I don't remember how to get interviewed. And so what we're seeing is that freelancers are a lot more adaptable. They know how to land the next job. They know how the flexibility works. And so it helps them a lot with building a future-proof career to your point. Because if you're a freelancer, you'll know how to find the next gig, which is significantly important, obviously, if you want to build a lasting career. Well, or if you want to pay your bills, right? Well, I think that's what COVID showed us. It was about paying the bills for a while. And hopefully it's shifting away from that right now. And people are looking at it more from an opportunistic standpoint and building their career. And again, people were forced into an opportunity of going freelancing because they couldn't keep their job during COVID. So they started freelancing. They saw they're actually making decent pay. It's a lot easier for them to get their true market value. Because if you're an employee in a company, you have, you know, you have your pay band, you have your structure you're waiting for a raise. If you're good at what you're doing as a freelancer, you can charge your market value. And if someone's not willing to pay, someone else will pay it. And so you're getting into your element from a pay grade perspective as a freelancer. I both love that and hate it because I feel like it's transactional. But then again, I understand it. So what's the benefit to a company to really look at? Well, first off, let's talk about when is a company do you really want to hire a freelancer versus a full-time person? I'd say, first of all, if you want to get things fast, the average time to hire full-time employee, a skilled worker is averaging over 60 days now, the latest I check. And so if you need to get something quickly and you're gonna wait for a hiring cycle, it's just gonna take too long. If you're looking for, to have the flexibility, you're not sure how long you're gonna need this for, you're still experimenting, get a freelancer. You need expertise. You don't have in-house. I remember two years ago when I was here working full-time at a company, we need a data scientist. Everybody needed data scientists. Everyone were searching for full-time data scientists. There weren't any to be found. And so 70% of someone is better than 100% of no one. And so start getting some work getting executed. And then if you want to drive a mental state to the organization of try before you buy, let's get someone in, see if that works, see if they work for us, see if they fit our culture and then get them into the organization if they want. But it's like, do I care if that person is getting paid through a paycheck or through an invoice? doesn't really matter. But does that try before you buy thing really work for you? What have you found as far as the data goes for the people you've hired? What's the success rate being a good investment? Most of the experiments I have have turned into good investments. How many of them were willing to turn into full-time employees? That's a different question. Most didn't because they like the fact. They like the fact that even if they do four days a week with me, they like the fact that they have another organization, company that they work for. They get a thrill through it. They learn new things or keep their skills up to date. And so most of them don't want to have full-time with a single provider. And if they do, it's for a short term, three months, six months, and then they move on. Got it. Have you had any bad experiences where because you hired a freelancer or a contractor, 
director that maybe it created a wedge or did anything in the organization with the full-time people? I can't remember any time they created that wedge. I did have bad hires. I did hire not very successful contractors. Not every contractor I hired was a success, but the cost of going wrong is pretty low. So when you hire a full-time employee and you go wrong, there's studies that show that the cost of a bad hire is whatever, or an employer- It's on average about a, five times their salary. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. And if it's a bad hire, and again, there's another study and you can back me up or contradict me that shows that 30% of new hires leave after 90 days or something like that, which is also a big set. Again, I don't know if it's 30% or 20% or if it's 90 or 120 days. But it's still a significant amount of investment to have someone drop after four months in the company. And so I think we're looking at contractors. Yes, we hire bad contractors, but you kind of tune your brain for a more agile flow. So you get them on, you get them quickly to get on a small project, see how they perform. If they do well, give them more, give them. And over time, you build that relationship with them to see if it works. All right, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsor. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content and resources to help you land great hires. We're speaking with Shahar Arez. He's the co-founder and CEO of Stoke Talent. We're talking about freelancers, the benefits and the drawbacks to hiring. I knew he loves them. So I'm still an offense. So we're getting there. Let's talk about hiring process, but getting into anybody that you bring into the organization, they should align with your company values because they are part of the culture. Unless you can keep them completely separated out. What do you do if you have somebody who you bring in and it's just grading people the wrong way. You just exit real quickly. The short answer is yes. Okay. If it's taking the organization back, obviously you don't want to keep them. Yeah. Freelancers should help propel the business, not drive back. It's a lot easier separation. And it's bi-directional. There's no strings attached usually. This is contractual agreement. That's why it's called contract. Sometimes it's, I don't love the term, but this is how you should treat it. Someone told me once, how do I know the contractors are really going to work hard for? I mean, employees are dedicated. How would I know contractors are going to work hard the same? And I say the contrary. Contractors are going to work a lot harder because if they underperform, they're out the door within a few weeks. It's performance-based relationship. Yeah, employees have to be engaged and you're going to have to put in a lot more work. As a leader, you're going to have to be a leader as opposed to a manager because disengaged employees cost the company a lot of money. A hundred percent. If you're looking across organizations, you have your top performers, your mid performers, you always have lagging, low performers, if you will. And if you check organizational culture, some do it very well, some not so much. It takes time to get them out of the organization and they are pulling the organization back, but it's a lot more difficult emotionally and process-wise to separate ways with full-time employees. Got it. So what's your process for hiring a contractor or a freelancer? I think, first of all, the organization needs to be open to that mentality. No strings attached. Let's start experimenting. I did it with a few companies and said, take your budget for next year, whatever that is. Take that number and say, you know, we're going to take 10% of that incremental headcount budget and turn it into a budget pool for freelancers. So if anyone in the organization gets stuck because we're lacking resources, they can go and hire freelancers to quickly in. And so just getting that mind shift. Number two, adopting the fact that you're going to get a lot more flexibility by leveraging freelancers. So it's just that thought process before getting into how to do it, just understanding the value of what it does. Let me back up a little bit because that was actually an interesting point. So your employees are empowered to actually go find a freelancer if they get stuck on something. 100%. That's creative. That actually is a pretty outstanding way rather than them fumbling around for a few weeks trying to figure it out on their own. So I can tell you that in my company, every 
employee knows they can go and hire freelancers up to $2,000 a month cap if that's going to make them more efficient and accelerate execution. None of them use that entire amount, unfortunately, and I keep pushing them on doing more. I don't want to hear excuses, if you will. It's like, I didn't have the resources. We didn't have time. I was stuck. It's like, no one's stopping you. Yeah. There's plenty out there. Anything that you can get someone else to do for you that doesn't require your specified skill, and it's not going to be something that we're going to need again in a week, just get it out. What's the next piece of this? Part of the process is you got to train the organization and managers in the organization what it means to hire and manage freelancers. It's different. We've been trained for decades how to engage employees, how to promote them, how to give them performance reviews and so forth. When it goes to freelancer, most managers are like, what do I do with this person? I don't know. All of a sudden, is it task order? Oriented. We got tuned, and again, I ran organizations of dozens and hundreds of people. You get to that mental state. It's like I have 20, 30, 40, 50 people here. If I need something done, I'll grab one of them and tell them what they need to do. But ongoing, everything is ongoing. When you hire freelancers, you kind of feel on the clock. I need to tell them what to do. Otherwise, nothing gets done. If I'm not able to tell them exactly what I expect, then nothing is what I'm going to get. And so you got to train managers to be a lot more accurate on what they expect to get out of the freelancers. You have to train them to the fact that this is not a full-time hire. So don't go through a full interview. It's more of an on-the-job evaluation and training. And again, being very clear on deliverables is super important. Wait, so you're not going through a full interview process with freelancers? You're looking at the work that they've put out and then just making a decision based on that? So it really depends on what type of freelancer I'm looking for. If on the low end, I'm looking for someone to give me a logo or whatever graphic design for something very simple, then I don't need to interview them. It's a project-based thing. You get it and you're done. If I'm looking for a data scientist, I'll probably interview them. I'm not going to get into the entire interview cycle. Maybe one or two people, I'll start with them with a small project and get going. So it really depends on the dynamic. It's not one size fits all. The second thing we're seeing is you want to get to a point where you have a defined process that says, you know, most freelancers, if I want to get them through a longer relationship, get your interview in place, whether it's one interview or two interviews, and then give them a two-week project. Get them on a two-week project, get them a deliverable. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks and somewhere around that range. Very clear KPI is what you want to see. At the end of the two weeks, talk to the people that work with them. Get some sort of initial evaluation. How did it work? Do they fit the culture? Do they fit the dynamics? What's the quality of delivery? If they perform well, give them a longer project, whether it's a month or two months project, whatever that is. And again, at the end of the process, figure out, did this work well for us? And if it has, then you can kind of say, well, we're going to rely more and more on Rick now, although he's a freelancer, because we trust him, because we like him. The deliverables are clear. His communication skills are great. Let's get going. Got it. Go back to training really quickly, because this is an interesting point. I found that most managers really aren't even trained on how to interview people. I run into that a lot. And I talked to a lot of managers. Actually, I talked to a guy yesterday. I said, how much interview training have you had in your career? He's been a pretty high level VP for a long time. And he said, I've probably had about an hour of interview training my whole career. Are you actually providing interview training for freelancers? Do you have a process in place that you go, okay, look at, here's your process for a data scientist. Here's your process for XYZ. I'd love to say that we have those practices built in and we're able to train right now. We're working with companies on this transition towards freelancers. We don't yet have the, this is how you do it. And it's very organizationally oriented as well. Some companies are very structured. They have the process, even bringing on a freelancer is weeks. And some companies are more, I don't care. We'll give it a try. Worst case, it's not going to work. Most of these interviews take place via initial call or a video interview. The decision's made at that point. A completely different approach that we've tried and I see others do. So if I need someone for marketing, 
writing, for content writing or videograph or anything of that sort. So instead of how would I interview a guy writing or a gal writing content, it's like not really clear. What do I ask? I want to see the portfolio. That's more important than anything else. I want to see what you've written before. And then the next thing I'm going to do, usually what I've done so far, is I take a very short piece of content. I give it to three different content writers, ask them to write like three paragraphs, give $150 each and see which style I like the most. And then I get the person to do the work for me. It gives me different flexibility because I need different things at different times. So why commit to a single flow? You're in essence asking them to audition for the role. But I'm paid then. Well, a paid audition. Got it. I found that a lot of people will look at the portfolio and then make the decision. This is a problem that I have with things like Upwork is you'll see some of the work that's done and it's really hard to communicate. I'm a verbal communicator. I've got to communicate through their platform and it's easier for me to have a conversation and talk about it. This is the other thing that holds me out from hiring freelancers. Now, I have quite a few freelancers that I work with now and I love them. But I found that having a really strong discovery call with that person and really understanding who they are as a person, because I think no matter what, they're going to either add or detract from the culture in one way or the other. But just taking it back to, do they get it? Do they want it? And do they have the capacity to do the work? If people want something that you're offering, they're going to do a much better job. So I have to tell you, I ran a lot of different organization and structures and I come from the same mindset. What I've seen over the last five years, I came to the internal realization that while it's true, there's a lot of gray zones there. On one side, yes, I want everybody engaged in part of the game, but there are things that I need to get done that I don't really care if that person is all in with me or not. I'll give you a very simple example. I attended a conference a year ago. It was a high-end conference with senators and Congress members and whatnot. And I realized 24 hours before the flight, I didn't get a chance to look at who's even coming and who do I want to try and connect to during the meeting. I ended up finding a freelancer for me to go over the list of attendees, prepare a spreadsheet for me and a brief of each of the people coming in. It's like, I've never seen them again. They don't need to be part of my culture. And again, I've taken an extreme case, but there's a lot of gray in between the people that are writing content for me when I need now a lot of content. If it's a one-time thing, maybe they don't need to be part of my culture. If I'm looking for someone for a longer-term engagement, 100% with you. That's part of what managers need to be able to make decisions upon. Does this person need to be part of my culture or did you just need to execute a task? Yeah, if it's a two-week project, then yeah, it doesn't matter that much. You just have to have clear timelines and deliverables at those timelines. And think how much flexibility it gives your organization when you have that mindset. I need to get things done. I don't want to hear excuses now. I don't want to care about everyone's trouble. I need now people to execute for the next two weeks. When I ran engineering organization, you know what's the common thing that you see in engineering organizations? Every quarter or six months, whenever you do planning, you're coming in and saying, okay, this is what we want to do. And then engineering says, well, you know, we have more front-end developers now and not back-end developers. Can we change the plan? We're not able to execute your needs. And then what you end up doing is fitting the business plan to the organizational structure instead of the other way around. Coming and saying, this is the business engineering team. Go figure out, you need a few more back-end engineer? Go find them. Go find freelancers to complete the gap and fit the business, not the other way around. Once you get that through that mind shift, the organization has a lot more flexibility to drive the business. All right, well, we're getting pretty close on time, Shahar. What would be uh, two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into the business today? Number of independent contractors are growing. They're expected to get to 50% of workforce by 2025. Bureau of Labor Statistics actually forecasts 60% of workforce by 2030. That's an insane number in the US. Organization needs to get prepared to that shift. That shift is happening. Workforce composition is changing. There's constant reports across all large research firms 
definitely since COVID. With everything that's been happening with AB5 in California, Biden supporting the PRO Act, regulations around what it means to handle freelancers in organization needs to get more attention by the companies on how they manage them properly and not get into trouble. And most organizations need to treat this as a strategic shift. Not having a gig economy over freelance strategy in an organization today, it's like not having an internet strategy in 2000 or a mobile strategy in 2010. Now is the time to start building the processes in the organization to how organization workforce composition is going to look like over the next five years. All right, Shu. Well, we're just about out of time for today's show. Shahara, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of our audience could reach you, find your company? Stoke Talent has been around for two years. I uh, would love to talk to you. We're at stoketalent.com because we're stoking talent into your organization. Talk to us. We'd love to help you manage your independent contractors properly and help you find more freelancers to boost your organization. Awesome. I want to thank our listening audience for tuning into this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share after all this shows for you. We're trying our best to get things better. Join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me an email at rickitstrike ridesearch.com. Tune in next week. Our guest is going to be, oh gosh, it's going to be a surprise guest. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success. Rick Turner.